0: Welcome to the workshop. The workshop is more than an adult Sunday school. The workshop is a systematic discipleship program for teens and adults, which takes place Sunday morning prior to the service. Our focus is to be building disciples that are grounded in the basic principles of the gospel for spiritual health and for service, and to be equipped to minister broadly to meet spiritual needs around them and to develop and use their particular giftedness for the good of Christ's church. We typically run three 10 to 12-week semesters per year in the fall, winter, and spring, and we look at having some kind of missions project during the summer. If you're interested in finding out more about the workshop, please feel free to contact our administrator at New West Community Church, and you can find us on the web at newwestcommunitychurch.com. Thanks very much. Take care. Good morning. All right, let's pray. Then we'll get started. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this glorious day that you've given to us. Thank you for your sustaining power for us during our sleep. Lord, whether we had a restful night or a restless night, Lord, we thank you that you are with us either way. Father, we thank you for your goodness we thank you that you extend your goodness to all creatures on this planet. Father, we thank you that you are good, that everything about you is good, that when you create, it is good, and that we are a new creation in Christ, and that is good. Father, we thank you. Uh, be with us this morning as we uh, walk through this attribute of yours called goodness. Teach us, guide us. Encourage us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. Thank you, my dear. And as you're turning there, allow me to ask you a question. And the question is this, what have you learned so far? We've, we've been, This is our eighth week together. We have two more sessions after this. For some of you, it has already seemed like an eternity. Uh, And for some of you, it's been gone by like that. Uh, But I'm curious to hear from you. you. What have you learned over these last seven weeks that we've spent together in the attributes of God, our great God? Anybody? That he does what he promises? Yeah, that's good. You get a book. And because you went first, you get to choose which book you want. I know, crazy. What would I like? Which, which one would you like? Okay. This one.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. you, yeah.
0: Anybody else? Yes, Joy. Ah, okay. Yeah, I don't think I've said that word as many times as I have in this series. Here you go. Blessings to you. For those of you online, we're just handing out books. That's the joy of being here face to face. You get a chance to receive a book. Thank you. (laughs) Good. So I'll remind you at your tables that you have mics so that if uh, we're answering questions, please use those so that uh, those online can hear you. I will make sure that they are all on and we are good, good to go. All right. Exodus 34, starting in verse six. The Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love." I'm sorry, I looked away at my. Bible look at the screen. I missed my spot here. Abounding steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What a great promise there is for us there. I want you to take a few moments at your table to answer this question. How would you define goodness without using the word good and without using God? Cause that's, that's just Sunday school answer. And, and that's what we're here to talk about, right? So how do you define goodness without using the word good and trying your best wife of mine to not use god but also knowing that you're going to answer the second question what is the standard by which you judge that one I'll allow you to say god cuz
1: <laughs>
0: i know some of you're going to rebel anyways so i'll just get out in front of you and ready go okay if i can pull you back
1: i think money.
0: How would you define goodness? Let's go to this first table right here. Use your mic so people can hear you. Yeah, you're first.
1: I okay. We we didn't particularly land on anything specific. Yeah. Um but kind of if we had to give a vague overall sentence we would say active moral purity and a clean conscience.
0: Active moral purity as opposed as opposed to passive moral purity. <laughs> Good, active moral period. Good. That's this good table up here. Must be some pastors' kids at this table. Terry, your table. What did you guys come up with? Uh huh.
1: in accordance with the scriptures and follows the commandments and morality.
0: Okay. So there's some law there. There's yeah. some understanding of commandments.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good.
0: good. Uh, let's pass the mic back over to this table. Marika. <laughs> uh,
1: um, all
0: of those things. Point the mic at your face. Yeah. All
1: of those things. But we also discussed, um, the aesthetic that it's, there's something beautiful about this. Ah,
0: look at you. See all the people write that down in their books now. <laughs> Pastor's wife right there. That's good. good beauty. All right. Back table.
1: Yeah, okay. Thank you.
0: Back table, how would you define goodness?
1: Okay, goodness means loving, (laughs) kindness, gentleness,
0: caring. Ah, so you're using fruits of the spirit to define goodness. That's really good. That's really good. Thank you.
1: And it's complete.
0: And it's complete.
1: Yes. Goodness is
0: complete.
1: And Alex said it's grace.
0: And it's great. Grace. 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 Complete. Grace. I love it. There's beauty in it. Yes, guys are good. We're done. Uh, okay, Mike, over to the last table. I'm sure one of your answers will be all of the above.
1: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually defined it. So you said that don't think of good and don't think of God. We used words that have nothing to do with faith, I think. Well, well we, do, we did use one. So we used words as beneficial, something that contributes to your well-being, mm. something that's a blessing. So that was the only word that uh-huh. kind of connects. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. I see some heads nodding as you're okay. saying these
0: things. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. All right. Um, I'm curious, by what standard did you use? I, I know at this table you talked about God's commands, right? Yeah.
1: um we said god and his laws though i think that there might be a little bit of a contingency there because (laughs) the law is not above god and god is good so i'm not sure how that would all work together but i just thought of that so there's that good
0: (laughs) i think we'll unpack that a little bit later anybody else want to want to share what standard they use to help define their goodness yes the back
1: uh, I think when I thought of the word good and goodness, um, it was a creation. So everything okay. that he created was good, and yep. something that we can't quite comprehend. Comprehend, but it was in the end
0: good. Yep. Perfect, love it. Great. Okay. So. Oh yes. Have to be on there. There we go. So, uh, Shed said this that God's goodness. Uh, can also be called his benevolence, uh, and he talked about God's affection towards creation, specifically mankind. Okay, that God's goodness could also be referred to as God's benevolence, especially as it's forecasted towards creation with mankind in mind. So, a couple of scripture verses that uh, I've used to help guide this session that we're in together. First one we just read, Exodus 34, and in Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God's goodness, God's goodness. And then for some of you who are going through the Psalms with us, right now we're in some of the Psalms with some of the lament Psalms, and there's, there's a crying out for God's justice, for his action, uh, for his righteousness to be displayed. Not a lot of crying out for God's goodness to be displayed. Okay? But yet, when we say that God is good, okay, we're talking about his actions towards creation, specifically towards mankind. And when we talk about goodness in that way, there's no delineation between righteous and unrighteous. Okay? God is good to both. OK, he's good to, good to both. John Murray said this, that might be a little tiny for you to read, but he said this. How is it that men who still lie under the wrath and curse of God are the heirs of and, and are heirs of hell enjoy so many good gifts at the hand of God? Huh? That, that's very reminiscent of songs. This is all happening to us. Our enemies are upon us. In fact, in Psalm 74, we just talk about how the enemies came in and destroyed the temple and hung up their signs and took down the godly signs, standards. How can all this be happening if God is good? How is it that races and peoples that have been apparently untouched by the redemptive and regenerative influences of the gospel contribute so much to what we call human civilization? So, So many times we hear that the pinnacle of humanity is civilization and our ability to build things. And I'm often reminded when I hear that, especially in education, I hear that a lot in education, that the, the, the answer to all of our problems is education. I would say a partial amen to that, but I would caveat by saying an education of God is the answer. Ultimately leading to Jesus is the answer. That doesn't get me very many opportunities to speak in circles of education when I say that. In fact, people just are quiet and they walk away. (laughs) So how is it that this sin-cursed world enjoys so much favor and kindness at the hand of its holy and ever-blessed creator? We know the world itself is under the curse. And and I mentioned this a few times that, you know, dirt is amoral. There's nothing sinful about dirt, right? Nothing sinful about creation. In fact, you said when God created, he said it was good, Right? But it's under the curse, and it groans, we're told, waiting for its day of redemption, right? Interesting. How is it that this sin-cursed world enjoys so much favor and kindness at the hand of the creator? Especially when when we hear of the horrible things going on around the planet. Even when we hear about conspiracy theories about governments here in North America. Another way to look at God's goodness is God's common grace. Common grace. Grace that's extended to every human being on this planet. And it's something that we can appreciate even in those people who are not regenerate. I think of the arts and how many people are not regenerate in, in the arts, whether it's music, sculpture, painting, uh, any, any of those graphic arts. You know, some, some of these people are not regenerate and yet they produce some of the most beautiful art that we've seen. That's a reflection of God's common grace. Doesn't have to be Christian for us to appreciate it. I think that's one thing that us in the Western world have really done a disservice to is we've lost a connection to the beauty of art. And if you're if you're a Francis Schaefer person, and if you've heard of Francis Schaefer, a while ago he talked about how art is the mirror of culture. It reflects what culture is thinking and what they want to do. So if you want to understand culture, one of the first things we could do is look at what art is being produced, whether, again, that's that's graphic or music, plays, right, because it reflects the culture. And it's actually trying to change culture. I think it's pushing the boundaries of culture. So Charles Hodge said this, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth, of holiness, and of life in all its forms. It is is present with every human mind, enforcing truth, restraining from evil. This is key exciting to good and imparting wisdom or strength when, where, and in what measures some seemeth to him good. This is what in theology is called common grace. And there's an aspect in here we're going to touch on. And that's this part here, restraining from evil. Not God himself is restrained from evil because we know that he's pure and he's moral and you know, he doesn't, isn't, is doesn't do evil things. Abraham Kuyper, Dutch theologian, said this, that an act of God, God's goodness, is that act of God by which negatively he curbs the operations of Satan, death, and sin. So his goodness is holding this at bay. And by which positively he creates an intermediate state for this cosmos or for this world, as well as for our human race, which is and continues to be deeply and radically sinful. So here's here's this answer of how can the world be so sinful if God is so good? And one of the answers is is that God is restraining sinfulness and unrighteousness. Now think about that for a minute. That if God wasn't doing that through His Holy Spirit, how much worse would it be? And we're seeing some horrid things right now. In fact, uh, I'll share this with you because I shared with our care group. I watched a An announcement from the federal government Wednesday. Wednesday, Thursday. Doesn't matter. They're pumping two and a half more, two and a half million more into Planned Parenthood, making it more accessible for people. Meaning transportation. Meaning training. This is this is the thing that really scared me, is that they're now targeting medical schools, nurses programs. Practitioning nurses programs to include abortion. Because right now it's not included. And so now they're going to make it mandatory that it is. Charnock says this, that God's goodness is shown in his mercy, especially towards sinful man. Goodness of God is infinite, but the exercise of it may be subject to his will. Which means there's no end to his goodness, but he measures it out. Okay, according to the purpose of his will.
1: Therefore, God is good in His
0: nature. Therefore, God is good in His nature, but free in His communication of it. So He's not bound to be good. He's not obligated. I should put it that way. He is good. That is part. It is it is essentially who He is, right? Um, no other attribute is higher than another one, except holiness. But you know, <laughs> none of them are higher than all the other ones. So you know, not only is He holy, not only is He glorious. Not only is he all powerful, but he's all good. And and that's important. Because if he's not good, if there is a smidgen of God that is not good, we're in trouble. So even in the exercising of his wrath that we see in scripture and in the world today, there is a, a measure of goodness in that. And the best illustration that I can think of is when, as a parent, I discipline my kids. And there there is an act of, well, let's just call it wrath, not anger, but wrath, correction. But there is a large amount of goodness in that because I know why we're doing this. Okay? And there's there's a purpose for it. So God's goodness is never equaled in the creature's goodness to other creatures. So when we experience goodness from other people, it's never the same as God's goodness to us in the sense of being equal, full, and, you know. It is the reason why goodness is one of his communicable attributes, because we can do it. And in fact, it's interesting to me that even people who are unregenerate can do good things, right? Some of the most, some of the most unregenerate people can oftentimes be the most philanthropic May I use his name, Elon Musk, right? Um, A lot of things about him that we would look at and go, "Uh, uh, uh-huh, really, right? And there's a lot of things that he's done that are good. Again, the question remains, by what standard, right? By what standard are we measuring these things? So I want you to answer this question at your table. How has God been good to Canada? If I can draw you back, please use your mics as you seek to answer the question.
1: Well, he's he's blessed us with many natural resources in this nation. Um, um, You know, it's it's amazing, really, the natural resources we have in this country. Um, um, And he's blessed us with peace. There hasn't been war on our on our land in my lifetime, anyway. And um, um, he's blessed us with. I say this. He's blessed us with basically okay. Okay, this is kind of strange, but we don't have radical, crazy dictators in charge of this nation. We do have some semblance of a normal, kind of rational government, even though it's even though it's slipping down, even though it's slipping down a slippery slope right now. But uh, yeah, we don't have. Um, uh, you know, Fidel Castro's or anybody like that. It, it, well, okay.
0: You used him as an analogy. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll, leave that, I'll leave that one alone. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Uh, how about at the back table? How is Gobbin good to Canada?
1: Uh, he's lifted most of the vaccine mandates. Yeah. And he's also blessed us with a good health system. Mm.
0: Good points. Excellent. Excellent. This table here, good. And the other things that are and the other things. Good. All right. Table one.
1: We have a general financial prosperity. Like as a whole, Canada is not doing as poorly as a lot of other countries. Most people are like middle class and have really not much to complain about.
0: I would agree you on that last point. Yes. Very good. Uh, did I miss the table? Back table over there.
1: And yeah, we mentioned a few things, um, but he's blessed us with um, beautiful, like a beautiful creation mm-hmm. with um, nature and also uh, freedom to worship as well.
0: Right. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's important. Yeah, for sure. Good. Thank you. Thank you. This one is not necessarily one that I want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it for a few seconds, maybe a bit more than that. But think about this question. And as you're thinking about this question, and some of you I see are writing it down, it might be a good exercise for all of us this next week, from today till next Sunday, is every day write down a few things that you're thankful to God for, that he's been good to you about. Okay? Now the world twists that around and uses that, and they call that a gratuitous list or a list of thankfulness, and they and they it's all about you know you and focusing on you. I don't want you to do that. I want you to focus on God and His goodness to you. Okay, I want you to write down what you identify as how God has been good to you. Okay. So I think we would all agree that our Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts. Right, those are give good, good gifts. One author I read said this that wisdom speaks. We saw that in creation. Power enables. Right. Uh, I preached a little bit about that last week, that the Holy Spirit enables us to do the things that he wants us to do. And goodness provides. God's goodness provides. God's goodness provides. It's interesting to me, uh, in a couple different places, talk about good, things being good. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, you'll recognize this as soon as I start. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find; knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then are evil, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Right? And then we would couple that with James, and James says you don't receive because the way you're asking is not reflective of a true motive. Right? That you you ask so that you will receive and that you'll spend it on yourself, essentially. You're just being selfish in your asking. And yet here, I think Jesus is really talking about it when we're seeking God. And we're seeking his will. God gives it. God gives it. Because he's good. And that's, and that's, a, that's, a, pardon the pun, that's a good thing. Right? That we don't have to worry about what God's will is for us. Because most of it is laid out pretty clearly in scripture. Right now, the specifics of, you know, who do I marry? Do I take this job or not? That, I'm not talking about those kinds of specifics. But how do we live in this world despite what's going on around us? How do we treat our brothers and sisters, uh, whether they're in an economic cl- class above us, equal to us, or below us? How do we treat the the, the, the vulnerable in our society? Right? So these things are, are taught to us, and, and when we begin really leaning into that and not just learning about it, but practicing it, uh, I really believe that you'll begin to experience a a different aspect of the goodness of God.
1: I really believe that.
0: We we couldn't have, there's one more section that that I wanted to highlight for us, just as if you're writing down notes. There's this uh, encounter that Jesus has with a young man uh, it's in Matthew, but it's also in Luke. And So in Luke chapter 18, it says a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I would love somebody to ask me that question. Yeah. Right? I don't think anybody has ever asked me that question out of a pure heart. Right? It's been, yeah, I'll get into that later maybe. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Hmm? No one is good except God alone. I think a lot of people wrestle over that and go, wasn't Jesus God? Yes, but that's not his point. His point was, your your measure of goodness is wrong. And then that's when he says to him, you know, these are the things that you need to do. And the rich young ruler says, yeah, I've done all those things. Check, check, check. And it's not like Jesus goes, oh, I forgot one more thing.
1: <laughs>
0: he gets deeper into it. He gets—he really gets to the heart of it. We know the story. And then the young man walks away. He walks away. He walks away essentially from God's goodness and salvation. Not recognizing, well, we we could project that, not recognizing that God has given him all of this stuff, all of these riches that he's had, the privilege that he's had. And I don't use that word privilege in the contemporary context of that word. So, goodness provides. I don't think we could have a a discussion about God's goodness without at least talking about the problem of evil. That if God is so good, why is there evil? In fact, David Hume, a famous philosopher, poet, not a Christian, said that if there's evil in the world and God is good, there must be something wrong with this equation. That that either evil is not good, sorry, evil is not really real, or God is not all good. And because he looks at evil and looks at what people does, and says, I can see the evil that people do to one another, I therefore draw the conclusion that God is not good, and if God is not all good, he's not God. Various attempts have been made to resolve the problem of evil when we talk about the goodness of God and the evil of man. One, there's just the outright denial that evil exists,
1: which on the surface
0: sounds crazy, right? Right? I forgot to bring it. I was gonna read a whole paragraph for you from a, a website based in Christian science. And it's there was a bunch of garbly gook in that thing. It's just it philosophical mumbo jumbo, just dancing in circles around this whole problem. But essentially, they believe that evil is an illusion, evil is a state of mind, because they're they're willing to say that God is good, He's all good, right? And they come dangerously close to what David Hume says. And they say, well, if God is all good, then that must mean there can't be any evil. Because if there was, he would eradicate it. So evil is really just a a perception. Evil is just how you perceive this events in life. It sounds crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's why they say
0: sickness and and even poverty is just an illusion, right? And I know my friends and I weren't the only one to come up with this joke, but we came up with this joke a long time ago that if a Christian scientist got run over by a bus, it didn't really happen. This is all just a state of mind for you. (laughs) Taken to its logical end. You lying on the ground after you got hit by the bus. It's not really happening, is it? Sorry, that might be a little too cynical for some of you this morning. But the the, the Christian scientists will say, if we can just transcend what we perceive as evil, then that, that is good. It sounds a lot like Gnosticism. Right? Where the Gnosticist would say, all that really matters is knowledge. The body doesn't matter. Evil, it doesn't really exist. It doesn't matter what you do on the outside it's what you know and 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 how you think and and where that how that's going to help you transcend everything on this in this in this earth there are others yes yeah that's a good question so i i would say i would say i would ask them uh what about the holocaust was that real or was that just a state of mind for six million people Wars is that is that is that good is that just a state of mind and I think I think that the place that I would attack it the most is just this comfort in Western society that we can with our wealth and our position in society look down on others and just go well you know if they just got smarter if they just got educated if they just built up a little bit more wealth they have come to see that there really isn't any evil in the world it's just it's just there. And if they can transcend that, right. Um, So that's how, that's how I would first go about it. Yes. Marika.
1: I want to make one comment based on what you're saying. It's like bored, comfortable people can have the luxury of having an idea like that compared to people living in abject poverty or part of me or under dictatorships or whatever. They don't have the luxury of saying, this is just in my mind.
0: Yeah. Can I be so bold to say that that um, boredom is dangerous? And can I be so bold as to say there's a reason why God commands in his scripture for his people to be busy? Another way of looking at evil that some have come up with is, is that it's character building. It builds character. And I know that there are some, there are some who perceive this as... Well, that's just as crazy as the other one. But they people who would say that the, the presence of evil in the world builds character basically say that the presence of evil helps us grow in our sanctification. You know, it's the religious language. Okay, it helps us grow in our sanctification. That the presence of evil builds character in the Christian for further battles. Is that is there any truism in that? yeah there is isn't it there's some truism in that that we become stronger in christ through our battles with christ right right so there's some truism in that yeah yeah because the, the danger with this becomes one of well who who originated the evil well god did not originate the evil no but that's that's where they would start going is, well, if evil is good and meant for our character building, that must mean that God created it, that God essentially makes it happen. There's the free will defense. And we talked a little bit about this in, I think it was a, the knowable God, or maybe it was even in, in our sessions here with us that, Giving men free will was a risk that God was willing to take. I think it was, I think it was in the workshop that we talked about this. Right. That giving, giving Adam and Eve free will to choose in the garden was a risk that God was willing to take. Does God take risks? No. No. Because what, what does that mean if somebody takes a risk? What does that really ultimately mean? You don't know the outcome. And if we portray that onto God, now we're saying God doesn't know the outcome, which means he's not omniscient. He's not eternal. He has no aseity. Aha. See how these beautifully fit together. Okay, So there's the free will defense. And then there are some who say, well, this is the best possible world that we live in, and that this is the best that we have. And then you've seen you've seen some real twisted applications of this, like Joel Osteen coming out writing a book, Your Best Life Now. And I'll say every time that this is my best life now, I'm done. <laughs> I would go on to say that the problem of evil is even displayed in the gospel itself. We would all agree that Jesus' trial, his passion, and his crucifixion was evil. Mm -hmm. In fact, I believe it was probably the greatest evil that ever has been perpetrated on the planet. Close second would be Adam and Eve. Because Jesus was innocent, he was completely innocent. And yet, I don't think there's a a time in in human history where evil was so magnified and intensified as in that period of Jesus' trial, passion, and crucifixion. Passion meaning his suffering, his scourging, his whipping, his beating, people spitting on him, people punching him. Suffering on the cross. In fact, it's led some people to say that that act of crucifixion was really nothing more than cosmic child abuse. And although the greater good defense is basically sound, it leaves us with a sense of mystery, John Crane said. We would also agree that the crucifixion was for the greater good, wasn't it? It was the ultimate good for salvation, right? Ultimately good. So therefore, the greater good defense is is good, but it still leaves us with this mystery of evil in the world, doesn't it let me let me say to you that even though there is evil in the world and there may be evil in your life and there may be there may have been evil things done to you in your life, that does not mean that God is not more powerful than all of that that does not mean that God wasn't in control and I know that because there's been evil that's been Conducted in my life. And it's one of the strongest things that I lean into whenever that comes back into my memory bank. Is that even in those moments, God was in control. That he didn't, he didn't let it go past a certain point. He restrained it. And I know it's, sometimes it's hard to even think about some of that when you're in the middle of it. Which is why I I keep coming back to this statement that we need to build a theology of God now, not later. You've heard me say it slightly differently, that you need to build a theology of God before you get into the suffering and the trials and the valleys. But I I realized that maybe there are some people in the valleys. And and you need a theology of God. So start building now. Start building now. And that's one reason why we do a workshop. That's one reason why we're doing this series. This is so we can start building a sound theory of our God. And it's not just theory, but it's practical. And it sustains us. Because it's true. It's true. We also know the end. We also know the end. Right? Like when you read those psalms of lament, and you see the psalmist just lay out all this hurt and pain and questioning and suffering, they end with essentially this statement, you are good. You will remember your covenant. You will deliver. And I think that should be our prayer and our perspective in in everything. That not just that this too will pass. I've heard Christians say that before, and I'm like, so you're just a passive participant in this? But knowing the end helps me walk through the middle. And that ultimately, God's justice will reign. And that's good. Because again, brothers and sisters, if God is not just, he can't be good. And that drives a lot of what we do. For me, it drives a lot of the perspective that I have in sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel and living the gospel. Because eventually God's goodness to the unregenerate will end. And if you haven't read Pastor Paul's book yet, is there anything good about hell? Yeah, there is. There's a lot good hell not for the people that are in it but for those who are in heaven are rejoicing in the justice of god and if you have a hard time working through that read through some of revelation i believe it's chapter six where the saints under the altar are crying out to god how long do we have to wait some of them slain for their profession of christ God says, just wait, the end hasn't come yet, but it's coming. Amen. So God's goodness and the restraint of evil in Genesis chapter four, the Lord said to him, this is Cain. Not so. Remember Cain? He was afraid that if God banished him from this area that he was in, that Cain was going to be hunted down and killed. God said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. What did Cain do? He murdered his brother. Some of us would say, you're on your own, Cain. Who cares? Eye for an eye, Bubba. But God didn't say that to him, did he? I'll protect you, is what he said. That's his goodness. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Amen? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Who's that referencing? Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is restraining evil even right now. Whether you see that, believe in that or not you need to hear that now. this is the truth God's the Holy Spirit is restraining evil right now that should that should bring a sober thought into our mind God's goodness and the delay of judgment Romans chapter two do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance right Kind of like what we saw with Came very much so what we saw with Adam and Eve. First Peter chapter three, because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. How long did it take Noah to build the ark?
1: Hundred.
0: Hundred. Doesn't say.
1: Okay. Forty.
0: I don't have an answer for you. I just thought. Maybe something so, Gabby, I'm not, I, I'm not. You're probably right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can we, can we agree it took him a long time? Sure. I mean, dude lived to be over 900, right? So it probably took a little while to build this thing. Right. But all that while, God is patient. And then in Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fullness fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See God's goodness, restraining even his wrath? God's goodness balancing out his justice for the purpose of saving? If you haven't read Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you can get it for free on the internet. Download it, read it, It will scare your pants off, metaphorically. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. One of the illustrations he uses is that we are like a spider dangling from a tiny thread from the hand of God above the pit of hell. And that the only reason why we haven't fallen in yet is because of God's goodness. It's a a powerful sermon, very powerful. And if I I remember my history correctly, it was that sermon that started his congregation to not like him very much. Historically, I'll just cut to the chase. His his congregation fired him because he wouldn't allow people to take communion who weren't Christians. (laughs) Imagine firing Jonathan Edwards. Sorry, Jonathan Edwards, you can't preach here anymore. God's goodness in the gospel, Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law. That's his goodness. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Okay. Gospel power in his goodness. If I can end with this, Wayne Grudem says this, but if God is himself good and therefore the ultimate standard of good, then we have a definition of the meaning of good that will greatly help us in the study of ethics and aesthetics. What is good? Good is what God approves. But if God is himself good and therefore the ultimate standard of good, then we have a definition of the meaning of good that will greatly help us in the study. That's a repetition. Well, yeah, I'm surprised my brain didn't pick that up. I'm sorry. What is good? Good is what God approves. Right? And Laura, you said it. In creation, he created and it was good. Uh huh. And bonus points when he created man, it was. Uh,
1: uh.
0: Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we can be together. We thank you again for your goodness. Lord, I know we just, we just we've mountaintopped our way through this. We could do a whole session on just one of your attributes and especially this one. Father, I thank you that you are good to us, that you are patient with us, that you endure our silliness, our sin, our rebellion. And Lord, you even are patient with those who right now are shaking their fists at you. Whether they're in positions of power, in government, or in finance, or in education, or in the medical system, all the way down to those people, Father, who may not have anything. There is no difference between them when they're in front of you. For We know that in Romans 1, it tells us that without without you, we, we, we are enemies, and yet you displayed your goodness by sending your only Son. Thank you for the gospel. Father, I pray that as we go about our day today and we prepare our hearts for worship, that we'd remember that you are good. And when we encounter things this week that bring trial, tribulation, suffering, pain, that we would remember that you are good, that you are with us, you sustain us, and that we know the end. Thank you for all these things that you do.